Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. If you brought your Bibles, please open yours to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the 15th chapter in 1 Corinthians. This morning, I thought we might bring together two lessons into one. The Kingdom, our series as of late, and Father's Day, the day before us. I have chosen for our lesson's title, What do we give the Father who has everything? What do we give the Father who has everything? Well, notice verses 23 and 24, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Now, the word for hands over is the word paradidomi. Didomi means to give. When Paul writes, Jesus will hand over the kingdom to the God and Father, he is giving, now get this, a people and a place. What will this son give his father? First, what place? Revelation 11 and 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Jesus will one day give his father this world. Now, what people will he give? Well, verse 23 again, those who are Christ's. Jesus will give his people to the father. Keep your fingers in 1 Corinthians 15 and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Keep your fingers in 1 Corinthians 15 and turn to Revelation 5. You'll notice as I read verses 9 and 10, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Notice Jesus made a purchase. Jesus bought something. What did he buy? Men from every tribe and tongue and people, and nation. Who did he buy or purchase this people for? Verse 9, Christ purchased a people for God. And what does John call this? Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So the kingdom is both a place and a people, and Jesus the Son will give both to his Father. Now let me ask you this question. Has any of this happened yet? No. So this kingdom cannot possibly be anything that exists in our present. It must be something in the future. Now then, what must take place before any of this will happen? What in the future awaits this gift? Well, let's return to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's place two verses side by side. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And look again at verse 23, But each in his own order, 
Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. The expression in verse 20, who are asleep, refers to those that are dead and awaiting resurrection. The word sleep is a euphemism for death. Now, why do I say awaiting resurrection? Well, a few reasons. Number one, verse 23, each in his own order. Christ is the first in this order. Now, what order are we talking about? Well, someone who dies and is raised from the dead with a body never to die again. And why not? Colossians 1 and 18, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus Christ is the first fruits because he has first place in everything, including a resurrected body that will never die. So we're talking now about bodily resurrection in chapter 15. Notice 1 Corinthians 15 and 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. And what do we need this imperishable body for? Well, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, now watch this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit what? The kingdom of God. Christians are waiting. We are waiting for verse 23. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. That's what we're waiting for, his coming. Now, what is waiting for his coming? Our bodies, bodily resurrection. What are we waiting for? And when will Christ come? Well, there are two phases to Christ's coming and they both have something to do with our bodies. The first phase is the rapture of all Christians prior to the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 14 through 17, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And there's that word again, asleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, that is, precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Paul, when writing to the Thessalonian church, mentions a trumpet. Paul also mentions a trumpet, trumpet here in 1 Corinthians 15. Notice verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. And the dead will be raised. The dead what? The dead bodies will be raised. So believers during the church age are awaiting the rapture before the tribulation when the trumpet sounds and our dead bodies are raised and gathered together with our spirits, our souls. Now someone might say, I thought when we die, 
we go to heaven. Why am I waiting? We do go to heaven when we die, but not our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When a church member dies, when a church member dies, what is present with the Lord? Not their bodies. They're absent from their bodies. Their bodies are awaiting Christ's return, Christ's coming. Hebrews 12 and 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. All the spirits, all the souls of all church folk go to be with Jesus, but our bodies lay in a tomb, a cemetery, an urn. They are waiting for the coming of Christ. Now, the second phase is the second coming of Christ that will occur at the end of the tribulation period. The rapture, that coming of Christ in the air, occurs before the tribulation. But the second coming of Christ literally, physically, visibly to earth occurs at the end of the tribulation. Listen carefully to Matthew 24, 29 through 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now notice again, a trumpet is involved. But we've got to ask the question, who are his elect? Who are they? Well, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, is how Matthew began. It cannot be the church. We are promised to be kept from this time. So who is the elect? Who are we talking about? Who will this trumpet gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other? Well, who has been dispersed to the four corners of the earth? The Jewish people. Jewish believers, Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life. What sleeps in the dust of the ground? Their bodies, their bodies. But did you pay attention to what Daniel said? A time of distress such as never occurred. That is the tribulation. For whom? The sons of your people, the Jewish people. So at the end of the tribulation, God will raise bodily all the Old Testament saints who have died in faith. From where? The dust of the ground all around the entire world, the four corners of the earth. Remember, when Jesus spoke to us in Luke 16 about the rich man and the poor man, you may recall the rich man spoke to Abraham, 
who died. He's in Abraham's bosom. And that rich man, you recall, was begging him that he would send someone to his five brothers to repent. So Abraham, like all the Old Testament saints, are awaiting bodily resurrection just like we are, with one distinction. Church folk are awaiting the rapture before the tribulation. The nation of Israel are waiting for the second coming after the tribulation. What does verse 23 say? Each in their own order. Each in their own order. Christ first, the church second, Israel third. Then what? 1 Corinthians 15 and 24. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. The Greek word that is translated end is telos. The word refers to a period that ends. What period? Well, the period that ends is 1,000 years, the time frame that encompasses the millennial kingdom. When Christ descends from heaven and defeats the nations of the world, after that thousand-year reign of Christ comes the end, and then Christ gives the kingdom to God the Father. Why is Jesus giving the kingdom and its authority, authority to the Father? I thought we were learning in our Revelation series, Jesus will reign and rule this earth for a thousand years. Why is he giving it to the Father? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. When all things are subjected to him, who is him? The Father. Then the Son will be subjected to the one. Who is the one? The Father. Why? So that God may be all in all. God the Father is the exception. Everyone will be subject to Jesus, but the Father will not be subject to Christ, for it is the Father who gave the rule and authority to the Son. Matthew 28 and 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who gave it to Jesus? John 5, 26 and 27, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Now watch, listen, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus with his blood bought for his Father a kingdom. Jesus with his blood bought for his father a place, this world. Jesus with his blood bought for his father a people, all those who repent and believe the gospel. It's the father's kingdom. And Jesus said so. Matthew 13 and 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, listen, in the kingdom of their father. I want you to pay careful attention to how this chapter concludes. And then I want to ask, what can we give the Father that has everything? Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What is our work? Well, the bookends of this chapter tell us what our work is. It ends with the work of the Lord. It begins with what that work is. Notice verses 1 through 4 in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Our work is preaching the gospel. Our work, in a word, is people. Saving people and sanctifying people with what? A message. A message that says Jesus came to purchase with his blood a people for God. He bought us for his Father. And when Jesus came, he came preaching repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is good news. What good news? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose from the dead. And you too, if you put your faith in Jesus, will be raised with an imperishable body. And we must, like Jesus, preach repent and believe the gospel. And we must begin with what does repent mean? It means to change your mind. Change your mind about what? Well, who do you say Jesus is? The people need to know that Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is the virgin-born child in Isaiah 7 and 14 that is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. People need to know Jesus is God with us. He is the second member in the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lived the sinless life. He rose from the dead. He performed the miracles that the promised Messiah would. He died in our place for our sins, and he rose on the third day. We should tell them he is coming again to judge those who refuse to repent. But do you know what else we should ask? Not just who is Jesus, but who are you? But what does God want you to know about yourself? Not only do people need to repent and change their mind about who Jesus is, but people need to repent and change their mind about who they are. We need to help people know who they are. We are sinners that cannot save ourselves. All of us had, at one time or another thought we could. We thought if our good only would outweigh our bad we stood a fighting chance to get to heaven. But people need to hear what James says. If you keep the whole law and stumble in one point, we are guilty of all. And why is that such an important part of our evangelistic message, the gospel message? Well, every religion has rules. And these rules are taught to participate in a person's destiny. Do more good than you do bad, and you might just get to heaven. Why is it so important? We tell people, if you keep the whole law and stumble in one point, we are guilty of all. 
Why is that important? Here's why. We want them to hear the law demands perfection. And it does because the law is holy. The law is not the problem. Never was, never will be. We are the problem. This is why Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do you know why verse 58 says our toil is not in vain? And by the way, what is our toil? Preach the gospel. Make disciples who preach the gospel, who make disciples, who preach the gospel. That's our work. And that work, Matthew 25 and 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Everything we have been learning about the kingdom in our kingdom series is a blessing. All the characteristics of the kingdom, listen, the Father's gift to us, our inheritance, our blessed inheritance, the Father's kingdom. What is our gift to him on this Father's Day? Be steadfast. The word steadfast literally means to be seated, immovable. It has the same idea, only it's intensified. You have this picture that you are fixed and immovable. Nothing can sway. Nothing can distract. Nothing can take you away from always abounding in the work of the Lord. And what is the work of the Lord that we must always be seated, immovable, abounding in? Preach the gospel. What do you give the Father that has everything? People. People. The very people that Jesus came to purchase for the Father, we preach that redemption story. We preach that Jesus died for their sins, purchased for them their redemption. Paul is simply saying until the Lord returns, there are souls to reach and ministries of every sort to be accomplished. Every Christian should work uncompromisingly as the Lord has gifted and leads our money, our time, our energy, our talents, our gifts, our bodies, our minds, and our spirits should be invested in nothing that does not in some way contribute to the work of the Lord. What do you give the Father who has everything on this Father's Day? Let's give him people. Let's, let's talk to more and more people. May God bless you. May God bless his word. And on this Father's Day, may we remember to always be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen.